This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season, we bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations who are all focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple-maker. Today's podcast features the Relational Discipleship Network, RDN for short, and their track about five key components of a disciple-making church. One of the RDN board members, Brandon Gindon, has taken the key components from this track and put them through the filter of disciple-making culture. He put this together in a book form, and it's called Disciple-Making Culture. The subtitle is Cultivate Thriving Disciple-Makers Throughout Your Church. This is a discipleship.org resource, and you can find the link to buy this book through our website. But we wanted you to know that we've created a free visual intro to this book that you can download for free. Just go to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Disciple Making Culture Visual Introduction. The book offers you practical guidance on changing the culture at your church into a church that's focused on disciple making, where it's something you are, not just something you do. So get the free primer to this resource at discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Disciple Making Culture Visual Introduction. The episode from RDN today is called Relational Environments. Mature Disciples Are Made in Real Relational Environments, featuring Jim Putman, Brandon Gindon, Bob Reed, and Luke Yetter. Enjoy. Well, again, I want to say welcome, everybody. My name is Brandon Gindon. Um, I'm the senior pastor at Real Life Ministries Texas. And uh, we are uh, in the five key components of a disciple-making church. Uh, this is session three. I want to just take a moment, if you're, this is your first session, to kind of recap what we've done so far. Uh, session one was the biblical foundation for relationship. What is spiritual maturity? And so we really took a, uh, uh, Jim and I had the opportunity to speak on that and to look at how Jesus made disciples in a relational context. And what does the scripture say about that? And the importance of uh, Matthew chapter 22, loving God and loving others and growing as a disciple in the context of relationship. And so we took a look at that. And, and I think these are all being videoed. If you um, have the opportunity to go back and see those, that would be great. Uh, the second one, we then went into what is an intentional leader. So when we look in scripture and we see the disciple making process, we see that it has a biblical foundation. It leads people to relational maturity, relationship with God and others, but that does not happen by accident. That that requires an intentional lifestyle. When we look at the life of Christ, everything that Jesus did, he was intentional. And so to be a disciple maker, one that makes disciples, we have to be intentional with our lifestyle. And so those are what our last two sessions are on. This session, um, we're going to uh, continue on and look at the idea of a relational environment. The environment that Jesus created, that, that the, the 12 experienced what it was like to, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so talking on those, um, we have Luke Yetter. Um, Luke is our executive director of the uh, Relational Discipleship Network, a um, longtime friend of mine, um, lots of fishing trips and time together. I had the opportunity to work with him at Real Life. And um, as you all know, Jim, my friend Jim Putman, the senior pastor at Real Life Ministries. And we're going to do this session, if you've been in the other two, a little bit different. 
Um, Luke's going to share a little of his story um, that, that he has been through in his life and what God's done in his life. But before I do that, Jim, I know um, maybe kind of share with the crowd here how to listen to, to Luke's story and maybe some things that they need to pay attention to. Yeah, I, I want you to listen to a, a couple of different things. First, whether it's Brandon or Luke uh, or Blake, who's here also, uh, those guys were regular everyday guys that had secular jobs. And um, God has done some miraculous things with them. They, they became disciple makers and even uh, leaders of movements. And it's pretty amazing. This, this uh, section is on uh, the relational environment. It took an intentional leader in a relational environment with a clear definition of what spiritual maturity is, understanding their role, that walked these guys. And it wasn't just one person, it was several people. And so, so as you listen uh, to Luke's story, I want you to be thinking about who plays a part in his life? How did they know they were supposed to play that part in, their, in, uh, in his life? What was the reaction? What happened? What were the behind the scenes things that were going on that Luke knew nothing about? Right? So be thinking about what is this relational environment uh, in, the, in the system, the overall system of the church look like? Are you ready? All right, here you go. By the way, Luke used to be terrified of speaking, and rightly so, he was terrible at it. <laughs> I knew it. But over time, when you let him in the game, they get pretty good at it. And, uh, and uh, Luke, Luke it, it, he, he is a miracle story. And so I wish you could hear it all, but, but this will have to suffice. Here you go. Thank you. I had a chance to share my story uh, at real life on the, on the stage. And I was real nervous to do it. And Jim goes, well, what's your worst fear? I said, well, I'll, I'll do terrible. And, or there'll be somebody in the crowd that I'll recognize that I've done something to. And he's like, no, y'all, y'all, y'all. So sure enough, I walk out on stage. There's a guy sitting right there. And I used to hustle pool, live in my car. And there he was. He's one of these guys I hustled. And he's just staring at me like, you work here? You know? <laughs> I knew it. All right. So, yeah. So there's two ways I could tell my story. There's one that's just informative, and there's one where I actually have to really tell it from an emotional place. And I used to only tell it from an informative place. And uh, my wife and I went down to this conference, and it was awesome. And I learned that I hadn't been feeling things. I'd kind of been numbing out due to some trauma in my story. And I had to get in touch with the feeling side, and that's been really challenging. And so now my story is way harder for me to tell. Yeah, I know. It's like, oh. So I'll do my best, but as I tell it, I have to kind of go back there, and when I go back there, I got to feel it. And it's different for me, so it's new. So we're on, the, we're on this journey together. Um, <clears throat> all right. So a little bit about my background is I grew up in the mountains of North Idaho. We didn't have any running water or electricity. And so I lived in a tent, and my mom had many, many, uh, many husbands, but not a lot of them wanted to stick around and live in the tent. And she was a survivalist, and she grew up really rough, 
And so she wanted to protect us. So she took us way out in the mountains and raised us as a single mom. And I had an older brother and a younger brother. And so when you have about three feet of snow in North Idaho, you know, the goal was to survive. It wasn't thrive. It was just survive. And so that was a little bit of my background. And I share that because it'll come into later down the road. So growing up like that, I didn't feel my mom did the best she could from what she knew. But we never went to church. We never visited any church because we were so far up in the mountains. And she didn't try to treat me this way, but I only saw my value is in what I could accomplish. So I only had worth if I could perform. Does that make sense? And so if I was able to get the water in out of the frozen creek, and if I was able to get the wood and get the fire started, I had value. And so I didn't get raised in the necessarily the, the best of environments. And there's a lot of things that happened, but I won't go into a lot of the detail. But so I, I, uh, I want to succeed financially. I don't want to have one pair of pants, one pair of shoes, one pair of underwear. I don't want to have to shower in the creek. So I set my sights. I'm going to retire. I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to have more than one pair of shoes, right? So I set out to do that. And I pushed really hard really hard. And I did do it. So financially, I started a business and I just pushed. And in doing so, I met my wife there. We got married and our marriage was not working. And, and that's really frustrating because I was able to solve things in my own strength. And we hired counselor after counselor. And I'm like, man, this isn't working. I don't want to get a divorce. My mom's been married and divorced five times. My grandmother's seven, my dad three, my wife's dad, two, and her mom, three. And so I can't even add them. I think I was like 18 and just like a generation right there. So what we had modeled for us is when it gets hard, just get a new one. Don't work it out. Just do your best, but get a new one. But I refuse to lose. It's a strength and a weakness, right? Because my value, if I don't win, I'm not very valuable. Make sense? So um, we only knew one couple that was married, for more than 10 years. So we had dinner with them, scheduled dinner. I didn't know them, and my wife did. And so I just said, hey, I'll just throw it out there. Uh, we're fighting all the time. We've been married for a year, and it didn't, it didn't looking so good. And I go, how are you guys doing? You've been married 10 years. How are you doing it? Okay, because I'm seeking help. And I'd already done financially. I'd done really well. And so I'm just thinking, man, money isn't solving it. Success isn't solving it. They say, you know what? We put God right in the center of our marriage. And I was like, Ugh. I'm 32 years old. And I, I wasn't expecting that answer. I was expecting something that I could just immediately apply. And I thought, okay, well, that's how I built my companies. I had head hunted mentors. And then whatever they said, I did in my business and I was able to grow up really fast. And so I'm looking at this couple like, okay, they said it, let's try it. So we go home, I get out the yellow pages, I've never been to church. You know, I mean, Sunday's my day, right? And so I just picked a church out, looked at the name of it, and we just went. Okay, so I'm going to describe this experience from the non-churched view. What I think is important about this is, I, you know, I've been in ministry now 12 years, full-time. And I think it's easy to lose perspective of the perspective I'm going to share. Okay, so I'm going to share the perspective of people that we are hunting. Okay, we're hunting the lost, right? We're hunting people like me. So the question would be is, if I went to your church or got invited to your ministry, 
would I come to know the Lord? And would you ever hire me or give me a place to play? Okay, so just be thinking about that as I share this, okay? So we go to this church building. I'll describe this experience. We walk in and um, it smelled like dead old people, okay? It just did. I just wasn't expecting that, you know? And uh, people were dressed really nice. And Sunday's my day. And I had all the nice clothes, but I didn't want to wear them on Sunday. It's my day, right? So we walk in, and there's those, those are hard pews. I, didn't, I only saw those on TV. This is my first church experience, right? So we go in. And I felt like I was standing in somebody's spot, okay? It just felt awkward. Like everybody's looking like, oh, who's the new couple, you know? And then they start singing. This is really awkward because I don't know any of the songs, and people start clapping. I'm not going to clap. Like, just no way I'm falling to the peer pressure. My wife starts clapping right away. She doesn't even know the song. She doesn't even know the song. So I, say that, I say that to her. You don't even know the song. You know, and we fought all the way there. You know, I'm just getting another little dig in, you know. And they, uh, the pastor gets up there and he gives a speech, you know. And I'm just I'm looking at it, right? So I'm not trying to be offensive, but this is just how I'm looking at it. He's giving a speech. They passed the, the bucket thing through. People were putting their money in there. I didn't put my money in there. It's my money, right? <laughs> I mean, you want to follow the rules and put your money in there, and that's fine. So uh, the guy gives a speech. I can't understand a word he's saying, literally. He's using words sanctification, flesh, propitiation. I don't even know what any of that means, right? And so when he's done giving his speech, um, he's going through the book of the Bible. I don't have a Bible. So in front of me, I'm trying to, I find one in that pew. I pull it out. I can't track. He's so fast. I don't know where these things are at. So he's done with his speech. Then the music gets up, starts playing. It's awkward again. Everybody's clapping. It's just awkward. And I love worship now, but I had to grow to like it, okay? Just for me, it wasn't instant, okay? So I say that in case you're a worship person out there. I love it now. Don't want to offend you, okay? Okay. So I just follow everybody out, right? Follow everybody out. We end up outside, back to our car in the parking lot. And I can do the math, right? I built a system. My company went national. I had multiple locations across the country. I know how to build a system to hit a target, okay? I can reverse engineer stuff. So I looked at that experience and I looked at where our marriage was at. And I quickly said to my wife, if this is God, if just if what we just experienced is God, our marriage stands no chance. Yeah. 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 Come to find out a lot of my friends have the same experience. That's why they never went to church anymore. And it was really hard to get them back. We went to one more church exact experience. Identical. I mean, it was identical. The same routine. Went in. People weren't real friendly. Just rutted it and got, got in there. Music, speech, back out, out in the parking lot. And I'm doing my watch and I'm going, huh, it's about an hour 15. And I'm thinking, I built a lot of systems to do a lot of things. I didn't know, that's hard to accomplish a lot in an hour and 15 minutes out of the whole week. Okay, so I was done with the church experience putting God in my marriage. I was done. One of my staff people, I really have to thank her. Her name is Britt Warren. She goes, she goes, uh, um, you, sh- you should check out Real Life Ministries. And I said, no, I've already done the God thing. I've done it. Trust me. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to fix our marriage. That, isn't, I, that math doesn't equal new marriage. She said, no, check it out. It's different. It's different. And she convinced me. She's in sales. She closed the deal. <laughs> and I'm so thankful I hired her because she closed me on the Yes, yes. I just want you to think about that narrow margin. I could have missed it. So I walk into real life. I want to give you a different experience. I want to share something a little different. 
when I walked into real life, one, uh, somebody shook my hand right away. That was really cool, right? I was like, that's pretty smart. I walked about 10 feet more, and there's another younger person shook my hand, and I was like, wow, that's brilliant. Two people shook my hand within about 20 feet. I, I was thinking, you know, business-wise, are my salespeople calling their customers twice a week? I mean, I'm just, every, I'm translating everything into my business, right? Right? Somebody handed me a bulletin. I thought, oh, that's cool. Had some scriptures on it. Well, then I smelled coffee, and I did think that was brilliant. Oop, it's still going, yeah. I thought that was brilliant because I smelled coffee. I thought, wow, that's really good. Kids were running around. People were dressed normal. And, <clears throat> right, because Sunday's my day. I'm just saying. And then we went into the, uh, the worship area. And it was a big foyer, big, big foyer. We're standing, everybody was talking. It was really hanging out. It was really cool. And then the, you're supposed to go in and listen to the music speech again, right? So I go in, music, same thing, clap. It's awkward. Don't know any of the songs. And then this guy gets up and... <laughs> Jim gets up. I won't describe. I'm thinking, man, that guy's got a big head. Who is that guy? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then he says, he goes, I want to talk about the purpose of the church. And at this point, I think it'd be really good to know because I'm pretty confused. I'm like, it looks like you just go and leave. I don't understand. I haven't said a word the first two churches, not to anybody, right? The purpose is go and leave, right? And so he's like, purpose of the church is to make disciples of Jesus. He goes, we feel that happens best in our home groups. But let me say this. If you don't know the Lord, and he goes, there was about 250, 300 people at that service. I didn't know the thing about multiple services. I just thought that was the service. And so he says, if there's 250, 300 of you, he goes, do you think it's my job if none of you knew the Lord? Do you think it's my job to lead you to the Lord? And I'm thinking, well, yeah, they just passed that bucket. People put money in there to pay you to do it, Right? <laughs> And I was so surprised at his answer. He goes, no, that's not my job. How could I possibly lead 200 and 300 of you to the Lord? He goes, no, maybe it's the person that invited you. Maybe they should know how to lead you to the Lord. And I was like, oh, he's really giving it to those Christian guys. <laughs> he's giving it to them, right? And so uh, what he said, hey, we feel that uh, you need to be disciples. You need to get in a home group. Maybe your home group leader invited you. Maybe he's the one that could lead you to the Lord. All this. What I heard is we need to get into a home group. That was the next step. That's what just resonated with me getting a home group I'd never been in a home group I don't know what that looks like so we were getting ready to leave there was a couple in the lobby you know this guy he comes up and and he's like Luke he knew me I haven't seen him in like 15 years from from high school he goes do you go to church here I go no it's my first time he had that look of like you go to church I said no it's my first time he goes well you should come to my home group I was like yeah I heard that uh, one guy up front say that I go uh describe it what is this home group thing because we, my wife fought, we fought all the way to church again. And I'm just picturing like, I'm just there because of the pain, if that makes sense. And so he goes, you know, he goes, uh, uh, it's, we're going to learn about God. It's real relational. And I'm listening. I'm like, huh, okay. I'm, I'm thinking he's trying to, in my background, he's trying to hustle me because it's a Bible study. He's trying to convince me, to, even though he's not saying that. Okay. So he walks away. My wife walks up and goes, hey, what was that about? I go, hey, we got invited into a home group. And she goes, oh, what do you think about it? I said, well, you know, I mean, we've tried everything else, you know. And then uh, I go, but here's the problem. I don't own a Bible. And uh, so I get a hold of one of the staff, had a little tag on their thing. And I go, uh, hey, excuse me, sir, uh, where can I get a Bible? I go, all the places I've been, they don't sell them. And, and, and he goes, hang on a second. So he's gone. He comes back. And he goes to hand me this book. It's like this thick. I mean, it's like that thick. He's like, hey, uh, hey, I don't want to offend you, but I just want to give you this Bible. And I'm like, gosh, just give me this thing, right? 
And, uh, and then I get it, and it's thick. I can tell he must think I'm a smart person. So I get it, and he's like, he's like, hey, I didn't want to offend you, but I think this is really appropriate for where you're at. I'm like, oh, that's great. So I, I'm going through it, and it's all in color. I'm like, this is awesome, right? It's all in color. I'm like, he gave, he gave me a children's Bible, okay? So, I, so I, I'm 32 years old. I don't know the Lord, and I'm going to my home group with my children's Bible, okay? Home group was not till Wednesday, I'm pretty determined, so I'm going to catch up with everybody. I got like three days. I'm studying that baby, right? I'm going through it. I got the bubbles memorized. I got some of them memorized, right? I'm going to show what I know. We go into group, and uh, Tim had called me ahead of time. Hey, you're going to come to group. Here's our directions. You're, gonna, you're really going really to make it? You know, because he thought I would back out. I might have backed out had he not called me. So anyway, we show up at the group, and uh, we have some food, some coffee. We're hanging out, and then we all kind of sit down, and his group was pretty big. There's about 18, 20 people in this. And I was like, whoa, you know. And he's just telling a story. There's a Bible story, you know. And it was relational. It was fun. I was like, oh, this isn't too bad, you know. And they tell the story of these three guys that get thrown in the fire. They get thrown in the fire. I've never heard this story. I don't, even, I don't know any Bible stories other than my little bubble stories. Um, and so he says, uh, they're saying the names so fast in the home group, I can't pick up on the names. So I turn to my wife and I say, is this what they're saying? She goes, oh, no, you ask. And so I'm like, right? And the whole group looks because they know I get an opportunity to reveal all of my theological prowess with this question. And so I say, hey, Tim, are you saying what I think you're saying? Keep in mind my background, my background, shacks, tents, okay, that helps. Right? Okay. So he says, well, Luke, what do you think we're saying? And I say, well, are you saying my shack, your shack, and to bed we go? Yep. Yeah. Dead serious. And, and, and they, just, they, just, they just die laughing. I'm, like, I'm just like, okay. I couldn't find the verse. There was no addresses in my children's Bible. I, I had no chance. I stood no chance. Okay. Here's what's cool. Here's what's really cool. And I'm so appreciative of this. Tim was just a volunteer dude, electrician guy. His wife's a school teacher. They got to recognize right away, I didn't know the Lord. My wife didn't know the Lord. It's obvious I didn't know the Lord. Um, and here's what Tim did. He spent time with me. And I didn't know anything about, you know, making a disciple maker so much. But what I loved about Tim is he led me to the Lord. And I'm going to share this with you guys because I would say this is I went 32 years never, ever even hearing or understanding the Holy Spirit. Okay. When you go 32 years of your life and you don't have a conscience, and then you get a conscience, holy cow, the Holy Spirit's powerful. I mean, I'm just like, oh my goodness, right? I'm just saying, it's an amazing thing. I started thinking, how come all you Christians are keeping it so secretive? This is the most powerful thing ever. I made millions of dollars. This was way better, way better, right? We have the absolute best role in the entire planet. I'm just telling you, it was like the best. Our marriage started to get transformed from the inside out. My wife started apologizing. I started apologizing. It was ridiculous. She came to know the Lord through a, more of a church service, come forward. But, she, but Shari invested in her and discipled her, did, didn't leave her at the altar and sent her to a class. She invested in her. Tim did softball with me, did uh, basketball with me, um, made me a priority in his life. Well, we went about a year and our group was getting big. And Tim goes, hey, Luke, why don't you step out and lead a group? I was like, no, that's like, no, no way. 
no way am I going to lead a group. And I don't think uh, a group leader makes, I mean, you can have, I was in all kinds of small groups as a business guy. Small groups doesn't not necessarily mean you're going to make any kind of disciple. Does that make sense? So the goal isn't get people in small group. If that was the goal, I mean, that's been done for hundreds of years. So when I, when I decided to lead a group, I only did it because Tim goes, hey, you'll do great, Luke. You'll do it. You can do it. We'll give you Nick. Nick's great. He'll, he'll go with you. And I was like, oh, so what's so special about Nick? And he goes, well, he specializes in apologetics. And I'm like, oh, that's great. That's great, right? We get in the car. We're driving home. And I tell my wife, I said, man, I go, they're sending us Nick and his wife with us if we do this. And I go, they must think I'm going to do pretty bad. And she goes, why so? Well, they gave me a guy who specializes in apologizing. (laughs) My wife goes, I don't think that word means what you think it means. (laughs) I stepped out. I I led a group and my wife invited everybody. I'm like, are you kidding me? Because most of my friends, almost all my friends didn't know the Lord. So we got an opportunity to lead them to the Lord walk beside him. And I blew it all kinds relationally. I offended people. I'd go chase them down. I didn't know everybody's so sensitive, you know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I made a lot of mistakes, right? But I, I hung out, I stuck with, with it, you know? Well, then what was cool is that uh, Jim heard, I was leading a group, whatever, asked me to come and hang out in a meeting and, get, and hang on a little business kind of elder meeting, just invited me just to have my opinion. When I was all done, he goes, hey, what do you think of that, Luke? And I said, man, I get my thoughts. He goes, oh, those are really good, you know? I was like, well, that's kind of cool. He wanted to hear my opinion, you know? He did it again and again and again, and pretty soon I was like, huh. Well, he asked you, hey, Luke, he says, would you be willing to do something? Would you be willing to uh, just volunteer and work with some of our staff? Just some of our staff on, on just leadership development. That's kind of your strength. You've done it in the business world. Would you work with a couple of our staff? And I was like, oh, wow, okay. So I started investing in a couple of staff on leadership development. And I started getting, this is like amazing. I was like, dude, I'm like working at a church. I mean, I'm just volunteering, but I'm, I'm part of it, right? And Jesus transformed me to such an extent, I wanted to do something for the kingdom full time. Okay, I'm like all in. Like this stuff is awesome. So I'm in. Well, then an opportunity came up. Jim goes, hey, here's, here's a position. Would you be interested and doing this full time. And I was like, whoa, whoa. You know, this is a whole different ball game, right? I didn't know Jim was being all strategic behind the scenes and what he was doing. I didn't know any of that stuff. But here's what I can tell you. I got to be, I went from lost to found to a disciple to disciple maker. I'm a first generation Christian. I've got three kids, 15 year old Zachary, 13 year old Jacob, my 11 year old daughter, Riley Joe. And we're doing the best we can to figure out how to help them have a strong walk with the Lord. But I could have easily have missed it. You understand those first two churches didn't do anything. They were just doing Sunday services only. I'm not against Sunday service, but that's the only thing. I mean, come on. So I'm so thankful and appreciative that we went to real life and they were passionate about creating relational environments and relating to people like me. And they gave me a chance to play. And so thanks for listening to my story. When I hear that story, I think, what did I do? <laughs> Sucker. Yeah. I still remember when I, because you, you ought to tell them when I called you about coming on staff. What happened that day? Yeah. Yeah. Because this, this was like, I didn't know this was going on, but yeah. go ahead. 
So I sold my company. I did like a Shark Tank thing. And so uh, the people that bought me, bought my company, um, they're real big on bottom line stuff. And uh, I wasn't performing about two and a half years into the deal. I had a three-year contract to stay the, the national CEO. And about two and a half years in, they kind of did a little ambush. You know, it's just kind of their style. I get it. It was like, they show up. I get home from vacation at the office, and they're all, half my board's there. And they're like, Luke. I'm like, oh, it's usually not good. And they go, well, we want you to step down as a CEO of the company you built. <laughs> it was just kind of a pretty hard blow to the pride, right? And right then, my cell phone rings. Normally, I wouldn't answer at cell phone, but I was kind of caught off guard, right? It's like good time to stall. So I grabbed the phone. It's Jim. <laughs> and Jim's like, Luke, I know. I just really want you to pray about something. He goes, would you pray about coming on staff and running our training? And I'm like, and I said, you know, normally, Jim, I would not have a lot of time. But, but I have a feeling I got to have a lot more time. <laughs> this was the funny part, too. I love the reaction when we told you what you would make. No. Okay, what was even funnier than that reaction was when my, my wife got the first paycheck. She thought it was my expense report. It's, it took me 20 minutes to convince her this was my paycheck. She's like, there is no way. Yeah, but, but why were you willing to, I mean, obviously you had sold your company, you're young, you had the ability, you're an entrepreneur, you can start businesses, I mean, like you, it's not even hard for you, making money's not hard for you, um, but why would you have been willing to move from big money, big stuff, why, why did you take the role? Yeah, yeah here's an interesting thought, I'll just introduce, because I'd, I had to wrestle with this. Because uh, I was so driven to have value from a broken place, and I had did a lot of stuff of success. So I had climbed this high ladder of success. The problem was, is I recognized I was on the wrong wall, on the wrong ladder. I hadn't did any single thing of significance, of kingdom value. Does that make sense? So I had to really self-check it and go, man, that was painful. I was so good about being about me, and I could get other people to be about me. And if you guys were about me, we'd all get along, right? I mean, that wasn't too hard. I mean, that, you know, this, an opportunity to do something of significance, wow. So for me, I had to do a heart, I had to grow in order to get to that place. It wasn't just an instant thing. But I got an opportunity to see the fruit of what God and how God was using me and my wife. And I was like, this is the best this is the best. Yeah. You know, um, Tim, when he saw you in the four-year, um, so it wasn't really a pastor that, that actually invested in your life. It was, you know, uh, what did you find out about the process that he had gone through? Because, you know, we didn't just throw you out there. You had to go through kind of a training process. You started to discover how Tim had come to the place where he believed he had the right to do that. He should do that. He was going to do that. Didn't ask our permission to do that. You know, what, what kind of process did you go through? Yeah, that's really good. So when I got asked to lead a group, you know, I was like, man, I can't do it. You know, she was like, no, 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 there's some tools. There's some things behind the scenes that you don't know. And I was like, okay, like what, you know, well, he took me through this disciple making process 
And he broke it down and explained to me, which we'll cover in the next session tomorrow. But what was cool was he explained, here's his part, here was my part, and here's God's part. And he, he walked through the things that he'd been doing with me, the basketball, the dinners, the lunches, invested in me, helping me understand how God was working in my life, explaining to me how the Holy Spirit works. Because I was going to go up and ask Jim. I really didn't know Jim. So he, he was actually breaking things down for me. Then I started getting hungry to read the word. Till then, I was kind of relying on Tim to give me the word, if that makes sense. Then I started getting hungry for it, started reading it and studying it. And this is awesome. And so uh, we went through a 101. We went through a 201, some, some church alignment pieces. That was real helpful. And I said, man, I'm going to get asked all these questions. Theologically, I'm not going to know. And what if Nick's not there? And uh, Tim goes, hey, you can call me or you can call one of the staff people. And so that helped. You know, um, I know you and your wife were struggling. What's some of the conversations that Tim had with you? I've, I know some of them, and some you probably shouldn't tell. But they, tell, me, tell me about some of those. <laughs> okay, well, to put things into context, when somebody accepts that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, I got a conscience. But was I still in the same amount of sin I was in before? Yes. So if you haven't worked with somebody that's a new, new, new Christian, nothing really has changed other than this amazing Holy Spirit salvation piece that only God can do, correct? But I'm still in, this, I'm still in all the sin. I'm still struggling with stuff. So this is one, one example I'm asking Tim. My wife and I are still fighting. You know, we're getting better, but still quite a bit of fighting. So I asked Tim this question. I said, hey, Tim, you got to help me out. I just need your opinion on this. I go, uh, I go, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to share. I'll share one, not that one. I'm not, well, I don't know what he's laughing about. I'm not, okay, so here's what. So I go, hey, my wife and I argued all night, all night, you know. And he goes, well, what was it about? And I said, well, I get my hair cut at this place. About, they, they close around 6 o'clock. It's like 5.30. I go in there. This gal's cutting my hair. And she's cute, and you know, and she's done cutting my hair. The place is closed. We're having this great conversation, great conversation. We're talking about her sex life. We're talking about my sex life, and it's great, you know. And I go, I come home. It's probably like an hour and a half haircut thing. I come home. My wife goes, wow, that was late. I said, oh, I have this great conversation. She's like, about what? And I tell her, right? I tell her. And she's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, what do you mean? Why? And I start going, why are you so easily offended? You know, and man, you're insecure, right? I'm saying this to Tim, right? And Tim's looking at me like, hmm. That's why the disciple-making process is so critical. <laughs> I know you're thinking that even an idiot who's not even a believer would not. And you'd normally be right. <laughs> there is some truth to that. That is painful. Yeah. Well, I had a whole bunch of questions. Like, here was one. I said, hey, Tim, this is the weirdest thing. I go, I'm feeling like I shouldn't be cursing. And I was good at using the F word. I could use it 16, 18 different ways. I could fit it in. I mean, you knew what I meant with it. I was good at it. And he goes, and he asked me this question. He goes, who told you not to cuss? And I said, well, that's why I'm asking you. Nobody. Nobody's told me not to. And he goes, that's the Holy Spirit. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Well, he's, he broke down how the Holy Spirit works. Then he was able to turn to scripture and back it up. And I'm like, whoa, this is way powerful. So I didn't know a lot of that. And I wasn't going to attend. I'm not against. I wasn't. I'm not against the class, but I wasn't going to go to a class to learn that. Because you were rebellious. <laughs> yeah. 
You know, um, I think one of the things that um, I think it's good for people to remember, because a lot of people grew up in the church, so they have no idea even the questions, the thoughts that some people have. Uh, what happens to us is we get, even as a believer, we start forgetting where we came from and forget that we don't deserve anything. We deserve death and nothing, and yet Jesus saved us even from some of the consequences and helped us walk through some of the others that, that we do have to live with. And we start to forget. And as you spend time with uh, unbelievers, you start asking and answering different questions. And when, unbel- when believers spend time with unbelievers, they start asking and answering different questions. When nobody spends time with unbelievers, that's a whole different set of questions. You know, one of my struggles is that most pastors are asking and answering questions that normal people in their church don't even have. Yeah, this just reminds me of this. So quick little story that fits into this. So my, I have a friend, John, doesn't know the Lord, and uh, I've been doing my best to try to present a, uh, a model, a good gospel, you know. And we had a friend that died and it was what kind of broke him. And he ended up accepting Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And so did his wife. And we invite him to home group. And he won't go to the church building because he says it'll burn down. And, and I want to tell you a story because I think this ties into part of what we're talking about, a purpose of the group. So John is uh, typical uh, for, in my world, he's an extremist. Uh, we do the extreme snowmobiling, the hill climbing, cornice jumping. A lot of our friends die in avalanche. And so that's what had happened that weekend. But it ended up leading him to the Lord. And when I invite him to home group, he won't come to church. Because how do non-Christians or really, really, really new Christians view Christians? Hypocritical. Judgmental. Right? You can go down the line. So John doesn't want to go into the church. I invite him to home group. He shows up to home group. Here's what he does. And I tell my home group, if you guys were my home group, here's what I'd tell you. Hey, my friend John and Kim are coming. John's a little on the rough side. What's the purpose of group? And people go, uh, make disciples? I'm like, yep. What kind of environment do we have to create? Uh, one that's accepting, one that's, yep. We want to create an environment where the lost, people that don't know the Lord, can come and hang out and get, get to know the Lord. That's a huge piece of the environment. So that's why we're not going to do a Greek Bible study or a Hebrew. You know, we're not going to go, you know, because John won't get it. So John shows up at the door. I tell everybody, hey, my friend John's a little rough. He's a little rough. Maybe undersold at a touch. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So he, he walks in and he's going to prove to me how hypocritical Christians are. So he walks right by me and goes down into the living room. Our home group's already meeting because he's a little late because it takes, he's an hour away. He has to drive an hour to get to our home group. And when he walks into the living room, he just walks right past me. And I'm like, and he's going to prove to me, you know, the Christian view. So there's two gals sitting on the couch, you know, two wives just sitting there. And he goes, oh, look, it's the first thing he says. Oh, look, two lesbians. First thing out of his mouth. Doesn't know a single person in the group, right? He's all cut off sleeves, tattooed up, and he's ready to brawl. I mean, he's open to whatever, right? And the group just chuckled. They just chuckled. He did not know what to do. He was like, and I go, hey, you guys have met John? Uh, his, his wife wasn't even out of the car yet. He was going to blow it up and then leave. And he said, don't even bother getting out of the car. This will be quick. <laughs> he stayed in our group for almost two, over two years in our group. That's how desperate people that don't know the Lord are desperate for relationship. They're desperate. These two, I'm telling you, you guys, I, you know, I had the opportunity with Luke 
um, to watch more from the outside, um, to watch him grow and, and, and come on to staff and, and to watch the impact that an environment has. And, and like you're saying, how important when you think about his story, whether it be Tim and Shari or even the, the environment that Jim created, those environments are critical. When you think about the life of Christ, the environment that Jesus created, I mean, he, he dealt with some pretty knuckleheaded stuff himself and things that he had to confront and challenge. And, you know, but, but we, don't, we don't see him running people off. We don't, you know, it, it, to see how he did that and to watch from the outside as Luke grew. And now, you know, as he's discipling people and the conversations that we've had over the years is pretty powerful. So anyway, this, this part of, of disciple-making and the environment that's created, um, to approach that with the mindset of people that have never been in that. And, and what's that like to, to experience? And to ask, you know, the, the people that you're discipling, what's this culture like? Um, to open that door to, to hear from them and, and what their experience has been. And so to not... Uh, underestimate how important the culture, the environment that you're creating um, for discipleship to happen. So thanks, guys. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I want to say one more thing. Um, We have, most people don't know that our staff was raised from within and they became disciples, disciple makers, coached. And a lot of our staff and church planners around the country uh, went later on, like Brandon went and got his master's degree in theology after he had a secular degree. And we're not against education. Uh, we'll add education uh, in the process of you growing up and all that, but we're looking for some different things. And people will come to our trainings, and I'll, I've heard this probably a hundred times. Jim, you know, the reason that real life has grown is because you guys have amazing leaders. leaders. We just don't have leaders like that. And then I love to have our guys stand up and go, what did you do before? What was your job? You know, uh, Greg Turbin was a saw filer at the mill. You know, you go down the, the, the line and, and, you know, most people are looking for finished products. They're looking for the already developed diamond, not the diamond in the rough. And Jesus taught, took ordinary unschooled people. And he, he saw the potential in him. You know, Ephesians 2, you're saved by grace through faith for good works. You're created anew in Christ Jesus for good works, which God planned for you to do before time again. Everybody that God saves, he has a purpose for. And our job as disciple makers, as best as we can, is to help them understand God has a purpose. Not everybody's a staff member, but everybody's a missionary in whatever context they're in. Everybody's supposed to be discipling their parents. Everybody's supposed to see this person is saved for a purpose. And what is God doing with them? Why are they here? What does God want for them? And not see all the mistakes, but see the potential. And even even the mistakes they've made were shaping, God's shaping them to understand some things that some people in a different niche are going to understand, but others won't. I remember... I'm an alcoholic, right? I've been sober for a long time, which I thought excluded me. But my disciple maker said, no, you understand some things that other people can't understand. You you understand what addiction is like. Some people may not be able to understand that, but you can. A person who's been sexually abused, 
you understand something that other people can't understand. A person that deals with depression, you understand something that maybe somebody else can understand. And if, if Jesus, if God's way of doing things is to allow, to bring his son down here to experience humanness so that he can be a faithful high priest, God allows us to go through some experiences so that we can associate, understand, be faithful as a servant. The same comfort that God has given us, 2 Corinthians 2 says, or 1-2 says, the same comfort God has given us, he's given it to us so we can comfort others with the same comfort he himself has given to us. Your, your mission field is shaped. And so if you see them as somebody saved them, or, or Jesus saved them for a purpose and help your team to be able to go, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to see the potential in you and help you discover your ministry to see past what you did in high school, past what you did in your home. The world defines you by your past. Jesus creates you anew in Christ Jesus. And our job is to help them find their place. And it's not one size fits all. And then help them go through the process of shaping that diamond. Is this, is this making sense to you? You have a culture like that. Rather than judging people, they see the potential in them. And pretty soon, you start giving them a place to play. And when they fail, that's part of the process. Who doesn't fail in anything they get good at? You fail, but you're not okay with it. You listen. You're coachable. You're teachable. The coach gives you a chance to get out there again. And you learn. That's why I hate excellence as a virtue. I love effort with humility and coachability. Because if you give your best effort, and you're coachable, you'll become excellent. If you have to be excellent before you get there, but you're not allowed to go through a process, who gets excellent at anything without a chance to practice and fail? You know what I love? Uh, this is a, something that I'll throw out there that we talked about in first session, spiritual maturity. Where's the value of relationship in that? Here's what I'd say. Being a home group leader, we're talking about taking a component of when you say relational environment because you can create different relational environments, but I'll say specifically to this one thing, is I didn't realize the importance of fighting for relationship. What is, what is, what's the importance of that? And I want to say it this way. You know, when they ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? You know, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And seconds like it. Love your neighbor like yourself. So if, on a scale from one to 10, if 10 as high as it gets, how high of a number should I have between me and the Lord? 10. Right? It should be a 10. I should value relationship at a 10. True? Okay. How about this way? What's God saying? 10. Okay. Here's the problem. If I'm only a three this way, I'm probably only a three that way. Does that make sense? And so the more I can experience this way, it expands this. So it grows. I didn't realize I wasn't very good at relationship. I need somebody to come beside alongside me and fight for relationship. Jim is great at fighting for relationship. I looked at like traveling light. I want to get the rocks out of the knapsack and get rid of the tension and walk through stuff. But I was okay at a certain point of just, oh, we're, we're good. We're good. And that's not necessarily fighting for relationship. So I, I got to learn in the church world that people in general are easily offended. Okay. I think we're called to not be that. We're called to be relationship specialists, lover of God, and lover of his people, and help people work through those tensions. I, I think there's what, 50, 60, one another's in there? I think they're in there for a reason. 
And I think oftentimes people get hurt and leave the church or hurt on staff or hurt whatever. So I don't think we see our role as relationship specialists. And I would encourage you, what tools, if I claimed to be a relationship specialist, a lover of God and a lover of his people, what tools would I have on my belt? For sure, I'd have the ability to apologize, right? Would be humble. I would, I would have to have a tool of listening. So these are some tools that we got to see Jesus challenge us, model for us, but I often think we don't, we don't see our role that way. So let me, how many of you believe in the doctrine, uh, like the Trinity, uh, Jesus, the only way to salvation? Do you guys believe that? I mean, the Orthodox Christianity, right? Why is it that we act like those are essential, but bearing with one another, forgiving one another from the heart is something we can do if we choose to? How did that become non-essential theology? Well, I'm not saying this isn't essential theology for Orthodox Christianity, but when did forgiving one another from the heart, confessing your sins one to another, when did... uh, carrying each other's burdens. When did that become optional? That's hypocrisy. That's just as commanded as believing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. If we're going to be obedient to Jesus, it's not just being obedient to the theology part, it's obedient. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit in your life is love, which is an act of the will to lay down your life for the other, to give them what they need rather than what they deserve. Agapao. So that means when we get into a fight, because he's got flesh, I got flesh. I'm walking in the Spirit, but I have moments of flesh. Anybody else in here have moments of flesh? When not happens, not if. What do we do with that determines our spiritual, our maturity in Christ. It's good. Here's what was kind of cool. Jim was crazy enough to uh, invite me into this particular one thing. He said, hey, Luke, he goes, would you be interested in uh, taking over our training, so to speak? And I said, man, are you sure, Jim? Because I went to it, and uh, it's a lot of uh, informing I don't think it really incorporates the values that I've learned here. And he goes, well, what would you do with it? And I said, I would just invert everything. And I'm sure that would upset everybody. And he's like, okay. And I said, no, no, you don't get it. No, you don't get it. I mean, I would just turn it completely. I just do everything the opposite. He goes, okay. And I was like, oh, he's kind of like, in a sense, going, go ahead. Kind of, I'll give you permission if you really want to try it. And so he did. He allowed me to a place to play And I say that because if you sign up for the DS1 at the end of that book, at the back of the booklet, it's a Disciple Shift 1. Here's what what we were able to do. I flew all across the country building my company and spending high, high dollar on leadership development, five grand here, 10 grand here. We got to take a lot of those pieces and put into the DS1. Okay, so you're going to be stretched, challenged, encouraged, and hopefully empowered through those two days. But it's not going to be comfortable. Okay, so if you want to be comfortable, don't go. But if you want to focus on making disciples, utilizing Jesus' method of real relationship, then I would encourage you to go. All right. Um, there's a card. You should have a card, Next Steps. If you're interested in taking a next step, check that box. We'll call you. 
put your information out there, leave it on the table, and we'll call you. But if you don't want to call, we're not going to call you. I just, so that's just kind of the way we go, the way we're rolling. So session one was about defining spiritual maturity. If we're going to make disciples, we better know what a mature disciple is, and we better have the same language and be on the same team shooting for the same goal, right? Second one was you're an intentional leader. There's principles of being an intentional leader that leads people to spiritual maturity. Third one is you're creating relational environments where there's transparency, there's uh, um, really talking through things. A good disciple maker doesn't just teach somebody the truth, they teach somebody the right application of the truth. And then they help them live that. Let me just give you one example. Uh, I preached a sermon on divorce because I got sick and tired of hearing about Christians getting divorced. After the service was over, I had this little 38-year-old lady, short little lady, come to me crying. She says, Jim, I know what I need to do. I've never met her. I know what I need to do. What do you need to do? I need to go back to my husband. I'm like, yes, except for something didn't sit right. And I go, tell me why you left your husband. Well, he was sexually abusing my daughters. I said, whoa, no, hold on. No, you don't go back to your husband. Now, had I preached the truth about God hates divorce? Yes. But I, did I understand her context? No. Was she taking the truth but misapplying it in her situation? I had to go, are you in a life group? Are you with somebody who can unpack this to help you understand the truth for your situation? No. Okay, let me walk you through some stuff, but I got to get you plugged in. Because the truth properly applied is wisdom, right? She didn't know how to do that. So in a relational environment, there's a talk. What's going on with you? What are you hearing me say? Because sometimes your filter is not what I, you mean words that I don't mean. So let's talk about it. I can't preach to every context on every subject. So you've got to unpack it and go, okay, what did you hear? No, no, that's not what he means. Okay, so the truth was she would have misapplied that without having spiritual relationship, Right? But then this was going to mean, because she was in a hard place, she was going to have to go on living as a single parent with three daughters. And in her mind, it's like, the reason I'm struggling is because I'm not with my husband. He's the financial guy. He's not paying child support. I need to go back to my husband. Nope, you don't go back to your husband. Well, how am I going to pay my bills? Well, real discipleship isn't just taking the word and helping you apply it wisely. It's helping you live through the application Now she needed people to come around her and help her live out the hard decision she was going to have to make with her three kids. Real discipleship helps you discern the right biblical truth for your situation. There's truth about everything, but that truth is differently applied based on your context. And then helps you walk through it, all of which happens in a relational environment where you're honest about what's going on. I start by being honest so that you go, oh, we're going to go there. You're going to tell me what's really going on in your life. You're going to tell me if you got in a fight with your wife. You're going to tell me. You're going to be honest. And we're going to talk. You're not just going to talk at me. We're going to talk. You're going to know my story. I'm going to know yours. And then we're going to do life together. There's going to be a place where he isn't going to be judged when he brings a real problem about talking to a woman who's not his wife about sex. But there's not going to be, it's okay. It's going to be, well, let's talk about what Jesus would have us do. Let's go to scripture. Let's talk about this. Oh my goodness, what have I done? What do I do now? Well, what does it look like for you to go back and say you're sorry? If you're Luke, he's like Fonzie of old. I'm 
I was wrong. Let's talk about what it looks like to be a humble man who says, I'm not going to do that anymore, honey. That was wrong. You see what I'm saying? There's a relational environment that's unpacking the scriptures in your personal context. What I love about your saying is that having somebody speak into that gal's life, that was, so we started a, a network that's churches from different denominations. So it just, that's passionate about making disciples and they're willing to coach you. If you're interested in walking it out this direction, whether you sign up with the Relational Disciples Network for coaching or somewhere else, I would encourage you to not do it alone. And um, we have churches we've invested in, other churches invested in. So we asked them, we said, okay, you've been going down this road for four or five years. You've shifted your church. Would you help other churches? Just three or four churches is all we ask them to do. But come alongside and really help them. And they do. And so if you're interested in coaching, let us know. And we'll try to put it in your context. So if you say, hey, I'm in New York. Here's my context. We'll find a church that has a very similar context that will coach you. We, put, we limit it to four or five people. We do a Zoom call. And you're one of those people on that call. So regardless of your role, men's, women's, discipleship pastor, associate pastor, senior pastor, we have coaching for you. Because we have people that have had to make this shift. And they're willing to help you. So if you're interested in that, let us know. Fill a card out. We'll call you. Or you can just call us. It doesn't matter. But I want to, hey, where's Mark Messick? Is he in here? Mark Messick. Mark Messick is going to be the one that calls you. And uh, Mark, uh, Mark was at one point sitting here. He heard, went through a conference. And I'd love you just to share, Mark, why. I want, I want you to be familiar with Mark. So if he calls you or you want to call him, that's awesome. Share a little bit from your heart of why you're willing to do it. Yes. Well, uh, seven years ago, um, our church uh, just realized that we were pretty much event-driven, possibly, you know, going from event to event, because events are easy, relationships are hard. And so as we began to explore relational disciple-making, um, we went through a DS1, and the light bulb just really came on, And but what was our next step? And so we uh, were able to be coached by others that had, were two or three or four years ahead of us. They helped us navigate that and be more intentional in our disciple-making efforts. And, and so now it's my privilege to coach others and help them be more intentional and effective in their uh, relational disciple-making efforts. So if you have questions, uh, fill out that information. I'll call you, uh, talk next steps with you, and be my privilege. Awesome. Thank you guys for being here. Appreciate your time. Hopefully, we'll see you tomorrow. We're going to walk through the wheel, the disciple-making process. Love you guys. That's it for today's episode. Check out the free visual introduction for Brandon Gindon's book on disciple-making culture. Go to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Disciple Making Culture Visual Introduction. Thanks for listening.